0: airwaves. Here is my request. You don't have to play it, but I hope you'll do your best. I've been listening to your show on the radio, and you seem like a friend to me. Buddy to hop off at 8 o'clock at the Greater 3UZ Semi Show for Friday night.
1: Okay, the time is 22 before 9, 1270, 2SM with you, Macro in the morning. 4AP and Kevin Hillier, Sunday morning, out for a couple of showers later today, and a top of 25. Well, it's
0: 27 past 12 right now. This is Laurie Bennett at 2SM. And 24 to 8 with Peter Grayson, down at the moment, 17 degrees. Howdy,
1: hi, hi, Victoria. Stand the man.
0: Well, hi, and welcome once again to Pilots of the Airwaves. It is our 40 minutes or so where we get to talk to the people behind the voices who are friends to a whole generation. And today's guest was born in Queensland, worked the country radio circuit until he hit Capital City Radio in Brisbane, then made the 7 to 10 slot in Sydney his own in the halcyon days of the 70s before returning back to Brizzy. He's laid back, he's laconic. But he's very professional. He is, of course, your old mate Robbo. More music, more music to SM. Hey, Graham Roberts, welcome to Pilots. Thanks for joining
1: us. Good on you, Paul. Uh, absolutely fantastic, mate, to, to be on.
0: Well, we're going to be talking about a stellar radio career here, Graham. Which jock or station ignited that passion back in the day?
1: Well, mate, I, I suppose in those days I'm only 17 or 18 and. Uh, I used to go to a, a record hop. Bill Gates was one of the jocks on 4BH in those days. And he used to run a record hop uh, at the O'Connor Boathouse in Brisbane. So I'm only 17 then. So here's a, here's a man about turned 77. Um, and um, there's no alcohol. Um, he used to run it at a boathouse, as I said, on a veranda, and people used to dance. He used to stand up there and play the records, all his latest imports and so forth. And uh, I suppose I thought, oh, I'd, Gee, that, that's probably not a bad job, you know. And someone said to me, "Oh, yeah, you got a, you got a pretty good voice." You would probably go, "All right." So, um, yeah. So I pursued that a bit further. And another another guy, the late Dell Miles, he was a great jock. Used to do uh, nights on uh, on uh, 4BH as well. And uh, I got to meet I got to meet him somehow over through the radio school or whatever I went to. And uh, so he was he was pretty good, Dell, and uh, you know, told me a few things. In fact, he was the one that said you should go to 2GF graft Grafton. Um, so, yeah, uh, Gatesy and Del Miles. Good guys, mate, and uh, I think Bill's still going strong today. He is indeed.
0: So, who took you through that initial radio training, Graham? Uh,
1: the late Jim Islet, he was a Channel 9 personality in Brisbane. Used to do a kids program, the Channel 9 yeah, mate. And I, I went to his radio school and, uh, uh, like, a lot of other uh, announcers we started out that way and uh, now he's a lovely man and uh, yeah ran the radio school for many years and uh, I think I went to it for about a year or a year and a half covered all the things off that um, everybody uh, needs to know <laughs> except one thing but anyway when we get to that I'll tell you about that when I got the fours that are but anyway that's another story yeah Jim Olaf. yeah
0: so 1964 and the first appointment was 500 kilometres inland at a place called Roma and 4ZR. So how did you land that first gig and what do you remember about those initial shifts?
1: Uh, well, I got the gig. Um, there was a couple of guys. There was only two that I can remember. Um, the other guy was the late uh, Billy J. Smith Jr. Uh, then, and he had a communication uh, with Frank, Sir Frank Moore. Who was in charge of that color radio network? And uh, anyway, he pulled a job in July of '64, and mate, I just kept sending tapes out and sending tapes out, and um, eventually, I uh, got in touch with me, and uh, uh, it just went from there. I, I was that excited to, to, to get a job because you know I probably sent a lot of tapes out. There's a lot of guys do, and but anyway, at the end, uh, I got the job, and the, and. What do I remember my first gig? I don't know whether it was the first gig, but you know, uh, you can go to these radio schools and they can teach you everything, which is brilliant. But I was never told about inside starts on 78s. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm doing, I don't know what shift it was. It might not have been the first one, it might have been the second. But anyway, on Forza are at night, and I'm doing the, the 78s like a serial or something. And uh, you think I'm, I'm putting the needle on, on the disc, you see, and of course, I'm putting it at the outside, and it, it's just kept running out. <laughs> and I'm going, what the friggin' old happening here? You know? And uh, so, anyway, uh, I finally worked it out that it was in, it was an inside start. And probably if I had looked a lot closer, it probably did say that on the disc. But in those days, mate, you were so wound up and so excited about getting on the air, and you had to time this and time that. So, yeah, that's probably one of the first things I remember. But... Look, you know, I, I think that I always uh, classed country radio in those days for for fellas and, and gals. Not many gals did radio in those days, but um, I always saw it as an apprenticeship, you know, and uh, because, you know, even at Fours at R, I mean, I can remember going up to the local menswear shop and asking him what copy he wanted to run, you know, that week, and then you'd go back to the station, you'd write the copy, then you'd... Then you'd look for a piece of music and you'd do the voiceover in the other studio and so forth. So it was a real apprenticeship. And I, I think, might sound old, but I, I, I just think that these days they miss out on a lot, you know.
0: Okay, can I read this quote to you? This young announcer hooked up with the prettiest girl in Roma and they've been together ever since. Any idea who the quote is by and who the quote is about?
1: Well, I, I guess the quote's coming from Gavin Wood. Um, is that right? <laughs> Uh, and, uh, yeah, Diane Yeah, I, I married the uh, uh, the uh, baker's daughter Got into the dough, so to speak Boom, boom, and all that, yeah so. <laughs> And we're still together, mate Still together
0: Hey, well done You obviously didn't spend all your time in Rome locked away in a radio studio uh,
1: Oh, absolutely, yeah uh, But I think in those days though, When you get your first radio gig Um, you know and if you're uh, a dedicated and you've got a lot of um, drive you're trying to get better all the time so I was always thinking um, of um, uh, Brisbane Radio um, at that stage until I went to Roma and actually later on to Grafton and Gympie but um, then I started to hear uh, Sydney Radio which I thought wow how good is this you know the new 2UW the new 2UW and to SM. So, yeah, but I, I think as part of being um, a new announcer, it was to get better, you know, whether you went to the other second studio and, and and practice reading scripts and all that kind of stuff. And that's that's what I did, because, you know, I always in the back of my mind, I don't want to be here too long. I want to get on the move, you know.
0: OK, so the sequence goes Grafton, Gimpy, and then back to 2GF in Grafton. What was the attraction in Grafton that lured you back in pretty quick time?
1: Uh, mate, uh, when I was in Gympie, uh, mate, I couldn't pronounce all the horse races, <laughs> all the horse racing names. No, that's a joke, but, uh, oh, no, mate, I I just think that, um, there was a guy, uh, at the time, uh, that did the radio school with me, a guy called Jeff Malcolm. And he said, do you want to come up and, uh, to Gympie? And of course, when you're a young fella, you know, I'm only 19 or something. And, um, I said, yeah, okay, I'll go up. And, uh, and, and I always knew that 2GF was a more progressive radio station in those days, um, uh, New South Wales station. And um, so anyway, uh, I went up to Gympie and I, I quite enjoyed it. It was, it was different again. Uh, you still learnt a few things, I guess. Um, but um, I always remember the manager at the station at the time said to me, uh, 2GF said to me, if you don't want to come back, just give me a call. And uh, so I rang him up one day and I said, well, you know how you said, um, uh, if I want to come back, um, uh, give me a call. Uh, the guy, the manager at the time, was a guy called Ken Armour. And uh, so, I, yeah, I went back at uh, 2GF and it was an interesting time in Grafton going back there. As I said, it was a great radio station, very progressive. But um, that was the last big flood and I was only back there about a month or two. And uh, Grafton had. Um, um, a major uh, the last major flood that was 1967 and uh, we had to um, uh, Ken said you have the game get your, your your blankets and a pillow and come back because you've got to stay in the station and uh, the, the, the the water in Prince Street the main street in Grafton uh, just flowed through there at about six feet and about 10 or 11 k's so that was that was you know that, that happened uh, when when I went back there but um, Yeah, no, I just went back there and I thought it was a good radio station at the time, yeah.
0: Now, the Capital City experience started in 4BH in Brisbane. What was the format of the station like at the time, and who did a young jock from the bush turn to for guidance?
1: There was a little bit of talk back um, on the station in the morning, but generally it was top 40 breakfast, and then after about 2 o'clock, yeah, that's right, um, 2 o'clock it became top 40, so uh, there's a couple of jocks, uh, did two to six off, then I had a crack at doing six to nine, and then I went back to two to six. So, yeah, but uh, generally – and, and mate, you, you sort of learnt a lot along the way in different things. i I, I, I got to be honest, and I'll tell you that I never really learnt a lot um, uh, until I got to 2SM, and I think in Sydney that's where – I I really had some great direction, and that helped me a lot, you know. Summer, 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 2SM.
0: Now, as exciting as Brisbane would have been, the action in Sydney was really hotting up in the late 60s, early 70s, and 2SM was the emerging powerhouse. How did the move to 2SM come about?
1: Yeah, well, Paul, I, um, during one of my moves, it must have been the second move to 2GF, back to Grafton, um, I did meet a guy called by the name of John Torth, the late John Torth, um, who I think perhaps, I'm not sure whether he'd worked at 2GF, but I, when I did get to uh, catch up with him, he was working at 2AD Armidale. Um, and then he went on from Armidale to uh, television in Coffs Harbour. He did some TV. And then he got a job at, uh, at 2SM. And this is in the days before they even implemented the uh, new more music format and i think he was doing sort of singing traffic reports or something john was doing and um but anyway uh um the opportunity came along i think he probably mentioned to rod muir that he uh, met me and probably heard me and uh so uh, uh i got a couple of telegrams from rod I went up while at 4bh and uh, said um you know um can you get in touch with me and uh, of course, an air check later, uh, you know. Uh, one one is in the big smoke, made in steak and kidney, you know. Right, Muir, as we
0: know, ran a pretty tight ship, to say the least. So what were the parameters he put around you in that seven to ten evening shift that you made your own for four years?
1: Yeah, well, what actually happened was um, um, there was a couple of guys, obviously, before me because Muir implemented that format in 68, 1968, the end of 1968. And then in early 69... he they, he rehired Mad Mel, who did 7 or 10, and then Mad Mel moved on. Um, and then he put on uh, Phil Haldeman, Funny Phil, who was a breakfast jock in the Beatle days on, on 2SM. And then uh, Haldeman, Phil had an accident, which wasn't nice, um, on a, off a motorbike and broke his leg. And so um, I I got the opportunity to do that. So he said to me one day, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do seven to 10. So he looked me in the eye and said, uh, How are you going to make a difference? <laughs> so, <laughs> being a, a young fella in those days, were, oh, why don't I talk to every rock star on the planet? And he looked at me He said, Oh, that sounds all right. He said, You have to do it in 60 seconds every interview. <laughs> so um, we, 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 so we, that's what we did. And, you know, it we went out to probably a couple of minutes, two and a half minutes later on. And, uh, yeah, so we did that. And, you know, I think probably one of the first ones uh, I'd, I'd spoke with was Johnny Farnham. And he was Johnny then, of course. And um, so I said to Mueller, why don't we do like a talk back with the kids ringing in? And, and Mueller said, well, you, we can't do it live. It's got to be tight. So I said, "Well, okay. Well, what say uh, we get the kids to write in and say they want to talk to John?" Um, which we did, and so we picked out the ones um, uh, that we wanted, and uh, John flew up from Melbourne uh, one day, and we recorded the show, went for about an hour, and it was absolutely fantastic. I mean, it was really nice. It went, it worked really well, and John, being John, it you know just made it you know graham roberts hello johnny
0: farnham hello mate how you going real well look it's good to see you we better start
1: with your new record you're on okay here's john and uh so yeah uh, it's a really nice call. you know kids kids saying to him what does he want to do in his life and how long is he going to sing and all that kind of stuff you know um but um so that's what i did and and it just rolled onto a whole whole lot of different people you know i uh um, I'm just trying to think some of the names um, Isaac Hayes I remember talking to Isaac Hayes one night and the first time I'd ever talked to anyone, he was on his mobile phone in the car, you know and uh, Caddy, Brian Cad down there in Melbourne, Jose Feliciano. Bill Medley, remember Bill from the Righteous Brothers and, um, and, and of course Sherbet. Sherbet were around uh, at the time, they, they were just getting going, you know Let's not forget the chat
0: with Michael Jackson.
1: Oh, okay. geez, I forgot my... Yeah, that was quite, quite incredible. Um, they came to town to 2SM um, in about, I don't know, 70, 71 or something as the Jackson 5. Michael was only uh, probably 11 or 12. And um, yeah, so I, I spent a bit of time talking to him. And he was a young fellow. And I always said, he, you know, he's flat out saying boo to a block. Blind cockatoo, mate. You know, is that quite? I, I used to have sort of like an intro. Um, Come on, Robbo, another day, another dollar, and I've still got that in that uh, that grab, and uh, and we had to take like five minutes for him to say that it, it's very nice. You know.
0: Hi, this is Michael Jackson. Come on, Robert, let's get into it. <laughs> an- an- another day, and another dollar.
1: But yeah. Um, and I can always remember one other interview one day and I've still got it on tape where I called his home uh, to talk to him and his father answered the phone, Joe Jackson. And uh, he said, I said, that's Graham Roberts from 2SM in Sydney. And he goes, um, Oh, Michael's in the pool. You know, just like that. And I said, Oh, well, can he, can he talk? And he said, yeah, I'll get him. I'll get him. And, and along he comes, gets on the back. oh, I'm just in the ward, I'm just having a swim in the pool, you know. But um, really good, yeah, nice stuff at the time.
0: Any encounters with any other eccentric ones, Graham?
1: Oh, the only, the only other, only other person I used to, I used to th- think was a bit funny that used to come into 2SM was um, Noddy Holder from Slade. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Noddy was a real character, and loved his rugby league because they he, they came from Salford in England and uh, always used to turn up with a full bottle of beer every t- every time i interviewed him they have the full bottle of beer you know uh, but yeah a, a, a real character and i think the other the other guys really that were a bit of a scream work like your jose Feliciano, you know and they'd be they'd be jose would be up at the cross or something uh, in in the, uh, I think it was called, I think it was the Chevron. Yeah, the Chevron. And they all used to appear in the Silver Spade room there. Beautiful. And there was that many class acts that used to come through. And, but, you know, I went I, I went to interview Jose, walk into the room and, oh, good day, Graham, how are you? I said, fantastic. And, you know, they'd, then they do the blind jokes. And Jose would go, wow, have a look at my view. How good is that? You know?
0: <laughs> 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 love it. We touched on Rod Muir before. Now are you able to tell us about the time that you, George Wayne and David White decided to go rogue and took it upon yourself to improve the great Man's playlist?
1: <laughs> yeah, we used to have um, well, it was pretty tight playlists as well. and um, you know, uh, in those days, I can't remember how it worked, but say you had a new hitbound record, um it it'd turn over every three hours or something. But what actually happened was um two SM went from um uh, I'm just trying to think of the years, probably the Beatle era probably ended in sixty five somewhere, then they went two way radio and um and then during that period stations in those days and it wouldn't it wasn't as easy as was what it would be now in, in doing this, but they just never kept the hits. So what actually happened was because George and David and I uh, used to listen to the new UW a fair bit, you'd hear all these hits, you know, that 2SM never had, right? So whether it be Normie singing he Ain't Easy or uh, uh, Eric Burden with um, When I Was Young or Monterey, whatever, they, they just never had them. So we had them. So <laughs> we'd, we'd put, them in, put them into our programs, you see. And uh, anyway, one day I get a phone call at home and he's Rod or mate, I said, oh, good right? He said, uh, what are you doing? I said, oh, just just at home, uh, relaxing. He said, can I see you in, a, in an hour at the station? I said, oh, Christ. Because I, uh, prior, when I was doing midnight to do it, I slept in a couple of times, you know. And uh, uh, Rod had said to me uh, the second time, he said, well, one alarm clock isn't enough, obviously. So get two. And if that fails, go back to Brisbane. So, That's that's what he said. Anyway, so in I go. I've got no idea what I'm going to be, what he's wanting to see. So he said, "Um, you violated my music format. I said, what? What do you mean? Then uh, Rod being Rod, he says, well, you played songs outside of what we've programmed. I said, yeah, but Rod, they're hits. They're all hits. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. From Monday, you're on mid-dawn. So he's taking me off, taking me off seven to, till ten, no mid mid dawn. So uh, I think George, yeah, George and, and David ended up copying the same thing. But yeah, but uh, you know, like at the end of the day, um, I, I had a lot of time for Rod Muir I thought he was uh, an outstanding guy, good good leadership qualities. A lot of people wouldn't agree with me, um, but uh, he knew what he wanted, and he was out to get it. Now the fact is that. He probably didn't. He didn't have a good handle on a lot of music, um, and uh, he believed that it wasn't right. In fact, we were right because we were playing good stuff, you know. So, <laughs> so that was a, that was it, mate. You know, that, yeah,
0: and some would say an interesting career move there, Graham. He listened a couple of big names from Two SM at the time. You touched on him before, John Torv, and also the larger than life John Brennan. What can you tell us about those two guys?
1: Yeah, well, John Brennan was just a marvellous man, and I I believe most people that knew him thought that way. Um, Brennan, uh, apart from being a good... Uh, I didn't, he wasn't the program director when I was at 2SM. He was the music director, but he'd been the program director in the uh, Beatle era and all that. But a great radio man. Those kind of guys aren't around, you, just, you know he was the, he was the only one that I probably worked with and Rod that were great radio people that knew their stuff and if they believed in something they would do it you know and um, um, and that, and that was Breno and he he could he was the only guy that I think in my time in radio that could pick a number one hit or something that was going to be in the top five that he was that good at it you know? And um, yeah, I, I remember, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's crazy to, to think this way now or to talk even about this is that when Roberta Flack came out with the first time I saw your face, Brennan knew straight away it was going to be number one, you know? So he wanted to put it on or put it on the playlist because he knew it was going to get there. And you um, said, well, <laughs> it's up to you. You know what happens if you don't, get the right songs and, that, and that's that's the way it was but um it was John was it John Toby the other guy mm. yeah he um John was a great talent uh, in many ways had you know probably one of the best voices and you probably heard the voice and so forth and did all the uh voiceover stuff for October and um yeah so he he would have done um Uh, four to seven or three to seven, probably. Muir only did it for a couple of months after he implemented the new format, the late 68. So, yeah, so Torb did that shift for probably two two years or two and a half years. And then he moved into uh, a company that Muir formed when he got out called Digamay, which was a consulting business. And, uh, yeah, so, mate, I I saw him a fair bit. I I worked with him and took over from him, yeah, he was, he was different, but that's radio, mate. You've got to be... Yeah, that was the whole thing about radio. You've got to be different to be successful, you know?
0: So five years at 2SM, with no doubt 1972 being a highlight, when you were crowned the Go Set Disc Jockey of the Year in New South Wales.
1: Yeah, it was a bit of a buzz. I actually forgot about that until I was looking for a couple of things uh, to talk about when you, you, we were talking about this. Yeah, it was... Um, well... The guys' set magazine was just like a paper in those days, uh, Paul. Um, uh, I don't know whether you remember it or um, yeah, you're too young for that. I'm not sure, but uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a paper, and everybody read it. He was interested in 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 rock music and 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 the scene, and uh, yeah, I think it was one of those things that um, uh, the kids voted on. And uh, they voted me from 2SM for that. And uh, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic to be able to, uh, you know, the, the Maroon from uh, Kew here made in Queensland to make it in the big smoke, you know? Fantastic. You know? <laughs> Ooh, it is
0: here. It's cold outside, but warm in Till the weather's clear, you can stay in here. Ooh, got to be. 1973 was to move back to Brisbane to the 2SM 3XY cousin 4IP. Now, what were some of the main differences between the Sydney marketplace and the Brisbane marketplace in the mid-70s?
1: Uh, Both radio stations are great radio stations. Both, um, uh, if anything, I suppose, SM was a bit more program-orientated. Um, uh, IP was uh, uh, pretty heavy into sales. I mean, they, they probably used to run more sales content per hour than what SM did from memory, you know. Um, uh, but at the same time, yeah, they both stations were there to win, and uh, and 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 both they did, you know. Like IP, um, you know, they went. Um, I mean, when you think about it, they used to broadcast from a stick at Bundamba, which is about twenty near Ipswich, about 25, 25 miles from Brisbane. And um, then uh, Frank Moore, they did a deal. And they, they ended up uh, putting a stick on Saint Saint Alina Island, which is just off uh, Morton, and uh, just increased the coverage big time, like right up and down the coast, and with a far better signal. So, yeah, they they knew what they were doing, and they they uh, they did they did a great job. Yeah, both stations. Yeah, yeah.
0: Now, just looking at some of those lineups in Brisbane at the time, there was Gary Suprain, Jim Pike, Alan McGurvin, Kevin Hillier and Keith Fowler on IP, Mike Hearn, Gavin Wood, Bill Ally, and Hayden Sargent on 4BC, and Wayne Roberts, Paul J. Turner and Ray McGregor on 4BK. Hey, listen, no shortage of great radio talent in the city at the time.
1: Oh, no, there was some good operators, man. Um, yeah, all those guys you mentioned uh, made a point of difference. And, uh, no... Those were the days. Um, again, it's a bit sad to say. It sounds like they're old, but um, then I, I suppose I've got to be fair here—that you don't listen enough to these stations um, to to listen to some of these personalities. You know, some of the guys or people that are on. Uh, but um, yeah, and no, it was—it was there were some great people there. Um, I always thought that um, the late uh, Ray McGregor, I worked with him when I when I came to 4, back to four p um, uh, at the end of '73, yeah. Um, and they put me. I did noon to three for a while, and then they put me on with Ray. I did seven or ten, and and Ray did uh, ten to one. But he was a good jock. He was a good jock, very good jock. Yeah, I I always rated him as one of the best music jocks I worked with, along with um the late George Wayne in Sydney. George had a real presence, you know. And the open the old north and south, mate, and you you'd want to listen. You know what I mean? So Graham, were you at
0: four AP when the call signal changed to radio ten or had you moved on by then?
1: No, nah, I'd moved on, mate. Yeah, no, I, I um at the end of uh here we go. Um seventy nine. Yeah, seventy-nine mate, I moved over to four B C. Um and uh yeah, what actually happened there was, you know, they just there comes a time in your life where you know uh, there was some there was some big changes at IP that happened, and um, uh, that's one thing I never got the flick from any radio station. I was hopefully it was always one step ahead, and um, yeah, so there was a few things happened there at IP um, that weren't didn't suit me one bit, and uh, so um, yeah, the, the guy um uh, John Williams uh, rang me up one day and said, "Would you like to come over?" And I said, "Yep, okay, let's have a talk." So I did go over for a couple of years, and that was that. You know, BC was a great station. Mike uh, Mike Ahern was doing uh, brekkie, and uh, the late Hayden Sergeant um, uh, was doing mornings. I had yeah, Robert Bruff; he's still around. He does TV up on the uh, Sunshine Coast. He did noon till four, and I did I did. Um, um, uh, three to seven, or four to seven. I used to come on after the GGs, made and bounced all over the bloody paddock. Um, that was a, that was a that was a bit of a challenge to to rate or to get people to swing your way. You know what I mean? Because radio works one way. They, if they listen in the morning, they listen at the night. You know. Um, but uh, BC was that kind of station. Had all the different kinds of personalities. So um, and I did a couple of different things there in the afternoon to, um, you know, at a high school quiz and all that little kids in answer questions, and all that kind of stuff, just to make, make a difference, you know? And, uh, and that's what you got to do. It doesn't matter what you do in life. You've got to make, you got to make that difference and you've got to come up with different ideas to, for people to go, wow, yeah, that was good. Yeah. Up and down Queen Street, past the City Hall. Who's that in the driver's seat? It's rock and roll, George, rock and roll, you're so going bald, you're a rock and roll refugee. Can't you see, you're meant to be a legend in your time?
0: A legend in your time.
1: Oh George, you are to pursue what world by night is to Petri Vite. Lunch in Anzac Square is the public service. And like
0: the dogs are Now, Graham, no now, doubt you've run into many personalities and characters over your time in radio, but probably none more unique than George Kiprios. Now, for us non-Brisbanites, can you tell us a bit about George and how he ended up on vinyl?
1: Oh, yeah, rock and roll George. <laughs> well, mate, he just was an institution in Brisbane. He had an old FJ. And um, people in that era... Uh, knew of him because all he did was he lived in West End, a suburb close to the city in Brisbane and he used to just drive up and down Queen Street and around the corner and past the city and all that kind of stuff and um, so um, Jamie Dunn, who was a record rep at the time uh, for Astor uh, in Brisbane and I got to know him because he'd come around and say, can you play this Robo? can you do this, can you do that and uh, I said to Jamie, well, why don't you give me a hand um, you you know creatively we can just you can if you can help me do a couple of things in the music format that'd be great so um i got to know Jamie pretty well so then Jamie said well i'll write a song about rock and roll George because I can't hold a note Mate, the only note I can hold a 50 and uh, so he he wrote the song about rock and roll George um, and johnny um uh, Jamie sang it because you know, they probably just put my voice in the back and, um, yeah, he, he, so he wrote the song about um, up and down Queen Street past the City Hall, who's in the driver's seat is rocking old George, you know. So it went pretty well. And um, and I, I, I was about the only bloke that ever got a chance to talk to him. He wouldn't talk to anybody. And uh, at the time, uh, Channel 9 were doing a current affairs show out of Brisbane, and they spoke to the guy who was – I can see the guy, I can't think of his name. And um, so, yeah, they said, can you get George – and we'll have a talk to him. I said, "Hey, okay, well, I'll meet you. We'll meet you Saturday afternoon at one thirty outside of Alan the Starks in Queen Street." So George turns up, and they asked him a couple of things on 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 um, on TV, and he was a shy kind of guy. And um, yeah, and then I got a little little two minute interview with him on the on the phone one day. I can't even remember the guy who got who who got him, but anyway, yeah, that and that was him, and it was just wow, man. I mean. Talk of rock and roll George. Everyone knew rock and roll George in Britain. Yeah.
0: Of course, there was no stopping you churning out quality hit music. Uh, having a barbie?
1: Yeah, well, there's a classic, mate. Hey? Um, I'll te- I tell you how that happened. That was written, and you probably know the guy, and I think he's passed as well, the guy John Vincent, who was a disc jockey in South Australia um, in Adelaide, yeah, and he wrote that song and somehow it was given around the network and uh, someone did it at 2SM and I was given uh, the job at 4AP and on that yeah I think yeah Paul Jay the late Paul J Turner um, helped me on that and uh, that was a hell of a session at West End one evening with about 15,000 cartons mate and uh, yeah and Paul did the the major voice on it, and I probably just admitted they probably mixed me in the back or something. Get rid of him, get him over. There. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's what that, that was a story on um, on uh, having a barbie, but uh, and that went pretty well actually. I think it charted pretty well in Brisbane. Finally, Graham,
0: just looking through some of those stations that you've worked at, a number no longer exist, and if they do, they've had a major overhaul in their format. Is that sad or just the circle of life of
1: radio? Well, I think it's changed that much, hasn't it? You know, like um, you look at those country radio stations now, they virtually don't exist. I, you know, they have a, I don't know what they call them, what is it, a base station? So say Roma, for example, there's a, whoever owns that, their main stations in Buddy can be in central Queensland somewhere. And they they, they may do uh, the breakfast shift out of there to keep, keep some local in it. Um, but yeah, I, it's just the way things have gone. Um, I think I think it's pretty sad in a way, but that's the way it is. Okay,
0: Graham got a list of twelve questions in front of me here. The first one being: Where were you when you heard that John Lennon had died?
1: Yeah, I I, I said to uh, Diane the other day uh, about that, uh, we were with the family and we would just come out of the Sheraton in Noosa and we were walking up the road, yeah, and uh, uh, that was um, that was something that just blew you away, you know, totally you went, You can't believe it you know, just yeah, that's where we were at Noosa but I'll always remember that, you know, there's always, always those things you always remember you know where were you? Which is a good one on records. You'd, you know, um, uh, you you'd, you'd do that on radio and say, do you remember where you were at this time? But yeah, in Noosa, mate. Yeah.
0: Last concert ticket you paid for?
1: Yeah, I think I talked to you about this one. You know, like when you're in radio, uh, most of the time, well, all the time, I think I don't think you ever paid for tickets, but last one I, I reckon I've paid for is Keith Urban, and that's a few years ago. I like uh, like his music, I like that uh, country genre, you know. And um, yeah, no, urban, mate.
0: The concert act that you regret never seeing?
1: Presley. Mm. Absolutely. He would have been sensational. I saw him on that. We all, a lot of us saw him on that first satellite show out of Hawaii. Yeah, yeah.
0: Graham, a word that you had most trouble pronouncing on air?
1: Yeah, there's probably been a few, but I can always remember one, um, which is a little town south of Grafton. Called wool Gulga. Wool Gulga. So yeah, that was always a bit tough, mate. Yeah.
0: Wool Gulga. Well, there you go. Was there ever an incident on air that had you thinking you might get those Don't Come Monday orders?
1: No, not really. I, I, I probably used to play ball in most stations I worked at. Um, always tried to do the right thing. Um, do it, do it at 110%. So I never really uh, got into too much strife. Yeah, and as I said earlier. Mate, if I didn't like something, I'd try and get on the front foot and be ahead of them before I got the Coke and SARS, so to speak, mate. <laughs> Skyhooks or Sherbet? Sherbet, mate, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think just because of the connection we had at 2SM when they were starting, and, you know, we'd be talking to Daryl or uh, Garth or whoever had come into the studio. So, yeah, I, t- I talked to them a lot, mate. Yeah, Sherbet.
0: The Rolling Stones or the Beatles?
1: It's a hard one, you know. I, I like both of them, you know. Um, but I suppose the Beatles, just the sheer fact of the writing of Lennon and McCartney in the songs, mate, just outweighs uh, anything, doesn't it? You know, when you look at the songs, oh, wow, you know. But, uh, but the Stones, have a look at them, mate. They're still going. <laughs>
0: Yep. Keith Richards almost defies science, doesn't he? Hey Graham, is there a most treasured piece of memorabilia from those early radio days that you hang on to?
1: You know you know what I've been trying to think of that. I I just can't think of anything. Paul, you know? I mean, oh no, when you think about it, I suppose, to be really frank about that, is um is when um 2SM and it, that was produced by uh, a, an advertising agency in Brisbane. You know the denim logo thing. Yeah, um, and you know we had the denim t-shirts and things like that. You know um, that was that 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 was really incredible. You know, like that was so different to what was happening in the world. You know, all of a sudden, and to think that it was a small agency in Brisbane. You know, that did it in Upper Edward Street somewhere and uh yeah and then it went from brisbane to um um 2sm um because i i was at 2sm when that no no when well, no, i was at 4ip sorry i was at ip then yeah yeah and then it went down to xy you know yeah mm-hmm. the biggest news story
0: that broke while you were on air
1: yeah that's that's an easy one um 4ip used to i, I was doing i did breakfast for about uh four years and um IP used to do a lot of promotional work, They're a very promotional kind of and uh, they used to have have me doing the breakfast show. I could never work it out, didn't make a lot of common sense, but at the same time, that's what we were doing. We were broadcasting from the show ring at the Acre in Brisbane, right? So I'm there at five o'clock in the morning, not a friggin' soul. there's nothing around apart from horses going, mm, or cows, you know, and uh, didn't get the horse very good then, mate. but um, yeah, so all of a sudden we got the news through Johnny Knox said um, I got I got a I got a break I got a break into the into the format. He said no one breaks into the music format here. What do you mean? He said the Kings just died. So uh, that's what we did. We we hit the theme up and um, yeah. <laughs> what and in those days there was morning and evening papers and you know. Right, you, women were crying and I was, that was a one hell of a, an event so to speak you know yeah so I remember that one
0: yeah hey listen just to clarify the king of course being Elvis we haven't lost Charles already I don't think <laughs> hey listen the moment someone walked into your studio and you were suddenly starstruck
1: yeah in those days you know um, I can't think of anybody because when you're on the air um, there's a pretty tight ship in the radio station so Unless you, unless I'm interviewing somebody, um, but I suppose you know. In those days, you know, you'd be struck with uh, with with Johnny. You know, Johnny Farnham. You know, the fact that he come up from Melbourne to do that that show and all that that was that was you know a bit of a buzz. Yeah, yeah.
0: Best words of advice from a program manager.
1: It's an old saying. It's called be yourself, and. um you know, too many people, including myself, in my early days, I tried to be, uh, you know, I used to be too busy trying to uh, broadcast to, to to everybody instead of just relaxing and and pretending that I'm talking to whether it be my wife, uh, and that and that and that that's it, you know. Um, but yeah, um, and Rod Mew was good at that. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, we used to run, used to go through air checks every shift, and. Um, He'd say to me, uh, "You know, remember the old buyer recorders?" And he'd, he'd reel through. Oh, he wouldn't. He wouldn't listen to everything. He just reeled through it until he uh, you know, like back announced or whatever. And he'd pull up and say, um, "You don't talk like that." So okay, be yourself. Okay, right. You know? And that was it. It's as easy as that. But getting people to do that sometimes is difficult. You know, particularly in the early days in radio because your nerves. So forth and all that. But yeah, yeah.
0: Finally, Graham, two albums that you would consider to be the soundtrack of your teenage years.
1: Oh, that'd have to be the Beatles albums, mate. I, I, I saw that and I, I can't think of anything else, you know. Um, probably those early Beatles, you know, with the Beatles and um, even Beatles for Sale, mate. I'm, I'm sort of, you know, there were so many great albums of theirs, you know, but there's two. You know, and they were good ones in the early days. Yeah. Well,
0: Graham, that's all gone really quickly. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. And you've made me feel so comfortable that I think I can call you Robbo. So Robbo, thanks very much for being part of Pilots of the Airwaves.
1: Paul's been absolutely fantastic. And uh, it's, it's brought back a, a lot of memories for me, um, the, the radio memories, because, you know, they were important days for a lot of us. So thank you, mate. I, I really enjoyed that and talking to you. It's fantastic. And I hope um, your, your concept, it's, it's obviously working very well and uh, it sounds very good, mate.
0: Graham Robo-Roberts Robert on Pilots of the Airwaves.